right, folks. Well, you know, you're in for a treat when you hear that tune because it's time for another episode of the Rec Poker Podcast. This is the forums edition where we talk a little strat and we get inside the minds of poker pros, poker recreational players, folks like us. Uh, we like to get together once a week and we interview a guest and talk about what's going on in their lives. We have a chat uh, and then we get together again and we talk strategy. Normally what we do is we pull a post from our forums here at Rec Poker, uh, but tonight we're actually going to look at one from our Discord channel. So first... Without a moment's uh, delay, I have to thank our sponsors, the Running Aces Hotel, Racetrack and Casino, and Mark Pershawn over at Website Amp. And I also just have to thank everyone who's a part of Rec Poker for making this happen. If if you're a new listener, we're a largely volunteer uh, organization. Most of what we do here is free to join, whether it's joining the podcast on YouTube. Uh, Discord is free to join, of course. If you go to rec.poker slash community slash Discord, uh, you can find your invitation to join there and come and uh, join in the fun. Um, we do road trips. Uh, well, as I said, we've got the forums, we've got study groups, we've got free videos on YouTube. There's just so many ways to get involved with other folks uh, that love poker as much as you do. You're listening to a poker podcast right now. I think you might have found your people. And that's just uh, getting started. John Somsky runs 10 freaking home games every week, which are free to play in, but you get real prizes uh, so, folks, if you haven't gone and checked out Rec.Poker, just head on over www.rec.poker. Sign up for a free account. All it takes is an email address and a smile. And But they're both compulsory. While you're there, head on over to Rec.Poker slash crew, because if you want to learn about me, my name's Jim Reed. I'm Bluffsterini in the home games, and I'm at Jim on Twitter. But there's a lot more than me. Here at Rec Poker, it takes a village to bring this amazing content to you every day and every week. And everyone on the Wrecking Crew is a big part of that. And I'd like you to meet some of them today. I'm Chris Jones. You can find me 5b5 on Twitter or 5 by 5 on the Poker Stars home game. And I'm John Somsky. I am Poker Geek MN everywhere. And I'm Rob Washam and I'm Rabman50 just about everywhere. I'm Taylor Moss I'm at Taylor underscore Moss on Twitter or Gopherboy TJM in the home game. Thank you, Wrecking Crew members. And uh, every week, we I'm so pleased when some premium members come and join us here in the chat uh, for the forums edition. This week, we're joined by longtime uh, participant John Crowell. And uh, we might get talk about uh, some of his action a little later on. Um, we're going to start with a hand that we pulled from Discord, as I mentioned earlier, uh, which is a great uh, a great platform for people who want to chat poker in real time. We have a lot of interesting conversations going on over there uh, from uh, binking and railing each other to stuff off the felt, uh, asking strategy questions, hand history reviews, um, classified ads. We've got it all over there on Discord. Um, but uh, Chris Jones, who's an avid Discord fan, and as you can tell, I've been listening to the poker guys a lot. So I'm really ramping up the intro here. I'm just, we're going to have to put timestamps in for when the analysis begins. Uh, you haven't gone enough off the rails to <laughs> sort of to copy that format yet. Yeah. All right. I've still got some, I'm going to keep some in the tank, maybe when we do our next episode. Uh, but Chris, you pulled uh, a hand from this deep dive uh, that you're putting together. So 
Well, I'll let you explain it, but basically every month, Chris has a new learning theme here at Rec Poker. Chris Jones is the uh, learning content, our membership content director, and he's in charge of putting together the curriculum, uh, what we're going to be studying, uh, what kind of material we're going to use to support that study every month. And um, in July, the theme of the month is seabedding out of position in single raise pots. And I know you're a big fan of this Inside the Mind of a Pro series on YouTube. And is that just free for anybody to go and watch? It sure is. Because that is, uh, it is wild how good it is. So if you, yeah. you want to learn some poker, just, I mean, literally just go watch this series. It it will teach you so much if you pay really close attention to it. Yep. And, you know, this is the episode where we're talking about a lot of free stuff you can do here at Rec Poker. Um, so, yeah, check that out. It's referred to in some of our uh, learning material. And uh, Chris has been advocating for this uh, Inside the Mind of a Pro uh, series for a while. So, uh, Chris, you're so obsessed with poker. You spend all your time when you're not working on poker stuff here at Rec Poker. You're watching it on Poker Go. You're looking up these free videos Lately on YouTube. I have been, yeah. yeah, like I just love this passion for poker that you have. Um, what made you decide to pull this spot and and sort of yeah yeah just start with that well i mean so you know in june we talked about sea betting in position and i think it's the area where we're the most sort of studied and comfortable as players i think we often probably get those spots right most of the time you know there's some nuance there and we had really good conversations about different approaches and sizing and times when we do check back and that kind of thing but i think that the area where players particularly rec players kind of can tend to butcher or mess up a lot or feel like they're kind of, you know, on roller skates on ice kind of thing is when they are the preflop aggressor, but now they're out of position. So they've opened an early position and the button has called them. We're going heads up uh, post-flop, but we are out of position. And it, it, it feels like, an area where, well, I should just lean on what I know about seabedding and I should just do what I do all the other times. But I think it's an area we have to be very cognizant. This is a very different scenario for us as players. So I picked this hand because uh, listening to this pro, Jao Vieira, who's one of my favorite pros, I just think he's he's just so good at poker and he's just got such a mind for it. Listening to him talk about this hand, I think, was fascinating to listen to because it's a hand um, that I think we can learn a lot from his approach to. And I learned a lot just listening to him the first time I did that because there's some stuff in here that I'm embarrassed to say that I like. I never thought of that. Yeah. Um, so um, I and we can talk about that in a second. So do you want me to lay out the hand or is that? Yeah. You want to yeah no, I think that's a great idea. Okay, so we're in a World Series event. I believe this is a, a three thousand uh, dollar bracelet event from not the the most recent one, but the the fall one in twenty twenty one. Yeah, um, and we're in a three thousand dollar. I think this might have been a six max event, um, but it might have been a it might have been a full ring. That that part I can't remember. But anyway, uh, we're in the hijack as Jao Vieira. Uh, we have fifty big blinds. Um, and we look down at Jack of Diamonds, 10 of Diamonds, and he opens. Um, and it 
uh, shifts over to the button who we cover, who has about 42 big blinds. So we've got, you know, we've got the, them covered, but not by much. Uh, and that bi- the, the button calls us and then the two blinds fold. So we go to a flop here, um, single raised pot. We're out of position. It's just the kind of stuff we were just talking about uh, with Jack of diamonds, 10 of diamonds. We're the pre-flop aggressor and the flop comes and I've got notes here just so I'd get it right. Um, Ace of hearts, two of clubs, queen of diamonds. So again, we have Jack of diamonds, 10 of diamonds, um, Ace, queen, deuce with one diamond uh, rainbow flop. I'll stop there and I'll just ask what is your thought or approach before we talk about what Zhao talks about in this hand? (laughs) What is, what is your approach when you're thinking about this hand with this flop in this situation? Uh, What, what are you doing? Well, I'll set the table here while other folks on the panel can unmute and share their opinions. So uh, as Chris says, ace, queen, two, uh, rainbow, We've got the Jack 10 of diamonds. So we've got the gut shot to the Broadway straight and we've got the backdoor diamond draw. And I don't think, you know, at, at this point, those are, those are really what we're working towards here with an ace and a queen on there. If our opponent does stick around, I don't think we're going to be jumping for joy if we make a pair with a hand like this. So, um, that's my my sort of synopsis of where we're getting here. The one, if we were in position, ace queen two feels like a pretty good board for us to see bet with a lot of our range. That's going to be a board where we've got uh, a lot of advantage. And I know the one lesson that I'm learning studying uh, see betting in and out of position is that you want to do it a lot in position and not nearly as much out of position. And I think. One of the things that recreational players like us need to worry, need to think about a lot more is, so what are those hands that we're not going to be c-betting out of position that we would be c-betting in position? Um, so I spoke a lot. I didn't really give you an answer. Uh, does anyone else have any actual, uh, what would they do in this spot, Rob? Well, the first thing you want to consider is... Um, Basically, the ranges of your opponents are so much different when your opponent calls in position. Um, when you you know you t- you talk about your typical out of position or in position uh, play, you're against the big blind, and his range is really wide, so you really have a big range advantage. In this situation, uh, you still have a range advantage because he didn't three bet you, so you know you can take some of those big pocket pairs out of his range, ace king type hands out of his range, but still his range is much um, stronger and can connect with the board much better than that out of, that the out of position player. So taking that into consideration um, in this spot, I think it's a range bet for me. I think because of the, the nature of the board, I would probably tend to see bet this more often than I would, um, you know, a Jack 10, nine type board. Uh, I think this is a good board for our range. So this is a board that I think even out of position, I may go ahead and put that C bet out there. Yeah. I think I'm in, in real time. I'm thinking that 
I am not, you know, like when I, when I'm making a C bet here, calling it a semi bluff is, uh, maybe giving it too much <laughs> benefit there. Like, um, we really would love to win the pot. Um, we can represent a lot of aces here, obviously. And this does feel like a spot where I would bet hoping to get the fold, frankly. And if that didn't work, then I know I've got these uh, outs to a, a very strong hand. That's that's the way I, I'm guessing I would be thinking about it. Taylor? Yeah, it, I mean, what one thing that Rob said that I've kind of found out when I did some studying around out of position spots for C betting is there's almost no like spots out of position where you have like range bets. And when Rob says range bets, he means like, no matter what I have in this spot, I'm going to be betting. Uh, and when you're in position, there's a good amount of those, a lot of ACE high boards with junk on it. Like you're just going to bet your entire range, especially versus like blind and kind of just profit with it. But out of position, there's very, very few of those spots actually. And a lot of times what makes this, at least in my mind, so difficult to like grasp and get a good understanding out of these out of position spots is solvers like to use like mixed frequencies with a lot of hands with over pairs. They'll sometimes check, sometimes bet with top pairs or sometimes check, sometimes bet with, you know, under pairs or total bluffs and strong draws, they'll sometimes bet, they'll sometimes check. And that's what makes it so tough is like, okay, well, you know, what am I supposed to do in this spot if, you know, a solver is kind of mixing between frequencies? And I think that's, at least for my understanding, always tough to like fully grasp. And when it comes to like this exact spot, uh, a lot of things that I think about when I'm in a spot like this is kind of, you know, how often do I expect my opponent to raise me if I bet? Because what you really don't want to do in this spot with a strong draw, we have a strong draw, non-made hand, but a strong draw. We don't really want to get raised off of it. Um, so then it comes down to like, how, well, how do you want to play it? Do you want to check and hope the opponent checks behind and kind of see a free turn card? Do you want to check in an attempt to check raise? Because uh, then you can, you know, pull out that semi bluff, or do you want to bet and try and just deny equity? Uh, all of those have pros and cons and it kind of makes it tough. And I think that's why the GTO solvers kind of mix between those things because it kind of likes all of them somewhat equally. And there's no option that is just like far and above superior to the others. Yeah. And I think one of the things like, as, as you talked about that, Taylor, one of the things that, um, so I'll kind of, I think this is a really good conversation. And I think as I approach a board like this, um, I think about that, like, yes, we have those strongest hands that Rob mentioned. We've got the, uh, so we've got some element of at least a nuts advantage, if not a range advantage. Um, We have, um, we can represent the ACE really comfortably in this spot. We have a gut shot to the nuts, uh, which is one of those where when we can represent the nuts and have that sort of, you know, that trap door out, you know, out where we need it. If that King comes and we can just kind of barrel away, can also hit a diamond on the turn. There's a lot of things that can happen for us as we progress. This is a board that I will just say uh, until I've really been studying this recently, that I would almost see bet with this hand, probably, uh, you know, a hundred percent of the time, just like that. Here we go. And what I loved listening to Javier about this is it kind of matched some of the stuff that I've been really is trying to study lately and really think about lately where he was talking about 
this is the perfect check raise hand. It is the absolute perfect check raise bluff because we're going to have some of those hands that we want to check raise with uh, for value. And this is like pretty much the perfect one that we want to have in sort of one of our bluffing ranges is having that, that Jack 10, probably any of the Jack 10 suited that have a, a suit on the board is, is sort of like those kind of perfect ones where we've got a gut shot to the nuts. Uh, we can get some, some backdoor equity kind of coming our way and it can help balance out some of the, the, the other pieces where we might check raise here. Um, and, and if, if it goes check, check, what he's talking about is if this goes checks, check, I can still bet big on the turn um, when we get to that point. Um, so if, the, if we have a, a favorable run out on the turn, uh, he talks about, you know, now I can take that turn and bet big. So I can still, I'm not necessarily losing the value here. And my opponent, the other thing he talks about is that his opponent, because as Rob mentioned, it has a much narrower range than say a big blind range is going to be potentially betting more often. So we're going to be in more spots where they're going to have some hands that really don't like being check raised. They're going to have hands like ace, Jack, ace, 10. Uh, some of those kind of holdings are going to start to feel, be really uncomfortable uh, when they get check raised. Um, and so for a lot of those reasons, that's at least through his mindset, what he was talking about. And I will just say like, I did. I have not thought enough about having a check raise sort of range in these kinds of spots. Like it's like you know, it's it's. I kind of just of thinking, do I bet or do I check? And then, but I had I was not constructing much of a check raise range in these spots, um, and that has really started to really shake up some of my thinking in these kinds of spots. And if you want to hear somebody far better than me talk about this, I really recommend watching this video because you can see him in real time talking about why, why he wants to sort of make those decisions with this hand. Yeah. And I think that's the the key component um, when thinking about the differences between in position and out of position, right? Like when you're in position, you can't have a check raising range. And I think people get so used to just playing in position, they're not even considering that option of like, what should I be check raising with? Um, and that's why I think it, it's, it, it doesn't, to a normal poker player and myself, you, you know, a lot of the times I just see a spot and it's like, I, you know, I made the pre-flop bet. It's now on the flop time for me to continuation bet, but we really need to be considering like, are we in position? Are we out of position? And when we're out of position, understanding that like check raising possibility and like what we want to do with that specific part of our range. Uh, Cause that's the huge difference between in position, out of position. Yeah. And I think we get, we get used to thinking about check raising as like a, almost like a defensive play against the player who is uh C betting against the player who has initiative from the previous street. And it's kind of, you know, I think we probably play more pots out of position. We're thinking about it or sorry, we play more pots in position. We think about that uh, more often, like Chris was saying earlier and check raising as the aggressor feels like different than, than check raising as the, uh, as the caller. And so I think there's to Chris's point, I think there's probably 
huge swaths of the decision tree that we're really kind of just leaving bare here by not considering this as a tool in our arsenal and balancing our other ranges accordingly, uh, yeah. which is which is and, really tricky. And the thing that I rapidly realized is that I would probably take that line with like my aces, you know, my set of aces here, maybe my yeah. set of queens here. That might be a line that I instinctively take, but I had no check raise bluffing range when I was sort of had the advantage here. I, I just basically didn't have that part of my game uh, built. Um, and it's been something that as I've been studying this for, for this uh, build and a little bit previously too, it's been something I've been really trying to think about um, how do we find those spots and what are the right spots to check raise when we had the initiative to start the hand. Yeah. Cause I think a lot of us are just kind of playing a little lazy which is there's you know I'm c betting my very strong hands, and then if I have hands that benefit from folds, I'm c betting them too. Uh, and I think that this is just a really good insight that you actually should have a check raising range, and if you are going to, then this is a good way to balance out those really strong hands. Um, so, Chris, do you think about this as a good check raising hand? Because if you get three bet you can comfortably fold it and it's not like a check call with a stronger draw that you might want to see another card before you had to decide or um, what, what makes it such a good balancing hand compared to your very strong hands. I mean, I think it's, it's the, it's the piece where we can represent the board really well. We, we still do own this board, you know, at least like on the very high end of the spectrum, we have the aces, we have the Queens, I guess the button can have ace queen. We probably yep. that's probably where we start to merge in terms of our top value range. But we we have those sort of elite hands that they don't have, um, and so that piece of it is that we can represent that, and it, it's a very powerful thing to check raise. The other thing is that this is a hand that has, when called, has really nice playability and really nice outs. Um, we're gonna we're gonna be able to proceed when we hit a diamond, when we hit a king. Um, and we're not necessarily going to get ourselves into trouble when we hit like a 10, right? I think we're there's just there's it's going to be a pretty fairly the only and and yeah, if we get if we get three bet here, it's a pretty easy hand to fold. You know, we're we're really just talking about a gut shot with backdoor equity at this point. So um and, you know, I can't, I, I don't think you're going to get three, but unless it is ace queen really specifically, I just can't imagine that's going to happen that often mm. in this spot. Um, so I think that all of those things make it a really good candidate. And I think, um, yeah. yeah. Rob. You know, I love, I love all this um, because it's not something that we normally think of, right? This is not something that we would normally do. The one thing that I, that I come back to is I'm weakening my hand by checking, especially if he checks back, because I'm not showing the kind of strength that I did pre-flop. So you're, you're putting a lot of stock in him betting mm-hmm. to actually make your hand uh, st- appear stronger to him than it really is. So there is that. Um, I guess that risk that you're taking when he does check back now, what does your hand look like? Because you, you came out pretty strong and now you got this flop that should just be trampling your range. 
Of course, you could be trapping, right? You could have that pocket aces. You're not going to probably bet out pocket aces. You're not going to bet out those pocket queens. There may be the queens because you could get called by an ace, but you know what I mean? It's it's some of those bigger hands you might check back, but I think you're weakening your entire uh, range of hands by checking and having him check back. Yeah, and I, I I tend to agree there, but I think there's also some some opportunities here because uh, he he talked about his plan basically when this happened was now we can on favorable turns we can bet big, um, and because that perception of our weakened range might be there when we either when we either do have those really elite value hands in this spot and we bet big, those might get called more. And when we have hands that maybe increase their equity, like a diamond comes on the turn, which does happen in this in this actual hand, um, now we can bet large um, and we're starting to build a pot towards a, a hand that's very well disguised at this point with the backdoor diamonds. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I, I mean, you're definitely right. I think we have to start to get comfortable with sometimes like those kinds of spots where we are weakening our range and we are sort of maybe... But I think the the more we do this to opponents, the more um, they're gonna they're gonna learn quick that they can't yeah. just take our flop check as as a total sign of weakness. Well, and not only that, but in the scenario that Rob's describing, um, getting to the turn and having weakened your range. In order to do that, that in position player also has to have checked, so they've weakened their range as well which means that that larger bet on the turn is going to have, you know, they've, they've got more folds in that unchanged range that they checked back as well. Uh, so there, there is some element to that. But I think Rob really made a good point here that part of what you're thinking has to be, is this a board that my opponent is going to float me? Like, is this a board that they're likely to have hit enough to bet when I do check? Um, when you're thinking about which spots you want to take here, because you need to, that if your plan is to check raise, then you're going to want to sort of do it in a situation where their, their range hits that board well enough that they're going to consider that bet. Um, and then when they do check back, I think that does really tell you a lot about their range. Like if the, if the board comes, you know, queen or Jack 10, four, two tone, if you check and they don't bet that board, then you can tell that they've got pocket sixes or something like that. And it's going to be easy to take it away um, on the next street. So that is that is kind of interesting for what you learn about their range as well. I guess um, the other, other thing that occurs to me about this is playing pots out of position. You know, that old adage is you tend to lose big pots or win small pots. So there's kind of like a pot controlling element to checking the flop that I like. You're kind of shortening. You're, you're, you're almost, you have a chance to play a two street game instead of a three street game out of position now. Um, and usually that that street that you're going to have to give up if you want to do a two street game is the river. And by then you've actually told your opponent a lot about the strength of your hand. And, uh, you know, you kind of set them up to put you in the hurt locker a bit there on the river by checking it on the flop, you, it feels like you're kind of taking away some of the power of their position a little bit um, when it comes to setting the total number of chips that are going to be invested in this pot. So I, I like that idea too. 
I yeah, think that. Oh, go ahead, Rob. I, I, I was just going to say, I think the um, the difference between imposition and out of position is your equity realization, right? Mm. So even when you do have equity, when you're out of position, it's much harder to realize that equity because they always have the opportunity to. You can't wait for them to check and then you bet and then they might call you. You know, you're always in that position where they have the last word, which makes it very difficult to get that equity realizations. So I guess what you're saying there is if even if you do have a hand like pocket aces on this flop, that um, by checking by checking the flop, you're probably going to gain more um chips in the end by getting more chips in on the turn and the river because you have weakened mm-hmm. your uh, supposed range by checking the flop yep that makes a lot of sense and i'll i mean you know come come to our deep dive uh come learn come to our q a you know we'll talk more about this there but i'll just say if you want you know like the thing that i would just you know number one lesson i've kind of learned is studying this is just check a lot more see bet less in these spots like 20 to 30 percent less than you're typically doing um when you're in position um and then construct a strategy where part of that uh has some raising in it as well yeah and i think as as a rule uh recreational players like us are not check raising enough whether we're the in whether we're the aggressor or not I think developing a check raising range and being thoughtful about that and being thoughtful about what's in it that's not sets <laughs> is uh, going to be valuable and profitable to a lot of players at our level. Um, that's definitely true. And I guess uh, stack sizes might come into it a little bit here. If you're if you're playing deep enough, then there is an element of you need to either get three big bets in or uh, be sure that you're going to get a raise in or else you're not going to be able to get the bottom chip with your monster hands. So that won't come up as much in tournaments, but um, I'm always interested to see how that kind of affects the pot geometry decisions that you have to make on the flop because uh, that 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 can matter a lot. So, uh, Chris, if folks want, uh, want to find this on YouTube, they just search uh, Inside the Mind of a Pro and was there a particular episode uh... episode number seven with Jao Vieira from 2021 it's also linked in the discord you can go find it under our hand history channel um but yeah and it's about i don't know it's a few minutes in but watch the whole thing because it's yeah it's all it's all good and if folks want again that's a rec.poker slash community slash discord you can find the link uh, to join there and if you're a premium member Congratulations. You also have access to Learn Pro Poker's premium Discord channel. And that invitation can also be found at rec.poker slash community slash Discord. And, uh, you know, Discord is a great platform. It's free. Uh, It's a great place to chat in real time about uh, hands and whatever else is on your mind. Um, The forums, I love the forums because it's like a turn based board game where. (laughs) You have as long as you want to compose your responses and read everything and put it all out there. Uh, but Discord is great for just sharing thoughts quickly and, and chatting in real time and uh, just getting that hive mind together and seeing what's going on. So so this was very cool. And uh, I'll just say one more time, 
If you want to participate in uh, the learning sessions that uh, Chris and the rest of the crew here runs every month, uh, go to rec.poker. If you use the code rec.poker, you can get your first month for only $5. I got two hands up, but that would that'd be two months. No, no, $5. Uh, and that's got to be pretty close to the best value in poker these days, I think, for five bucks. Come and get a whole month of learning experiences here at Rec Poker. We do. Uh, there's There's at least one event every single day, often two or three, whether it's home games, uh, Zoomed strategy discussions, uh, study groups, uh, seminars. There, I mean, it, it's, it's impressive, and uh, uh, it takes more than one human to participate in everything. So find something that works for you. There's something every day. And I guess without some further ado, I, I thought we got some great coverage there. Thank you, Chris Jones, for pulling that hand. And uh, Rob, John, Taylor, and John, we got two Johns in the room. So I want to say thank you to them as well. And we'll see all the rest of you sometime soon, I hope, in Rec Poker Land. And that was the intro. So let's keep it in. Here we go. It's outro time. Yeah, here we go. Hitting the audio cues. Thank you, everybody. It wouldn't be the same if we do it. Thanks to all of you. And we'll catch you again real soon.